Well, welcome to Vertical Act Church. How are we? Awesome. You know, uh, was preparing for this the series about Psalms. We, we just finished our series in the Gospel of Matthew, and now we're into this new series. And believe it or not, something I wanted you to think about from the very moment, the very beginning of this message today is, have you ever wondered, why do you sing? Why do you sing? You know, and it's an interesting question because, you know, I don't think too many things are coincidental. And, you know, we're, we're talking about singing today, and it just so happens we were experiencing some technical difficulties that were impeding some people's ability to sing, right? If you didn't know the song, it kind of made it hard to sing along, right? But I'm glad that, that God is powerful enough to get us through. But that's a question I, I want you to think about. Why do you sing? You see, music is a powerful thing, and it's actually one of the only things that unifies all of humanity. Think about it, right? Music is cross-cultural. doesn't matter where you live on the planet. It doesn't matter your race, your background, your neighborhood. It doesn't even matter what generation you grew up in. Old and young, music connects with all of us. You know, you know it's... it's it's too often that we find ourselves engaging with music. You know, when you're sitting at the doctor's office and they've got music over the loudspeaker and, you know, there's a beat. You know, you can find yourself, you know, your body just kind of starts to engage with it, right? You get that toe-tapping thing going on, the, the little head bob, you know, maybe it's a song from way back in the day, right? When music comes on, our bodies begin to react with that. You know, when you're driving in the car and your jam comes on the radio, you start doing the, the 80s hair metal drumming, you know, you're just like going... Nuts in the car, right? You know, you don't care who's looking around because you're just engaged with it. It affects all of us, even, even children at a very young age. When, when children are at the point where they're just getting you know, the ability to pull themselves up on the furniture, the moment they hear a good beat, they start dropping it like it's hot, right? Start doing that, that toddler twerk, you know, thing, thing that they got going on. It, they just do that. It affects all of us. It impacts every one of us. This is so common Music, the way it affects us, the way we interact with it, is so common to each and every one of us. But have you ever stopped to wonder why? Why do you like singing in the shower and imagining you're Celine Dion or, or one of the greats? Why do you sing? Why do you express? Why do we as humans do this? Uh, a man named John Lennon, he's a retired professor of vocal performance emeritus at Emporia State University as well as the executive director of the John Lennon Institute for Posterior Studies, he wrote an article called, Why Do We Sing and Why Doesn't Everyone? And here's what he says. He says, a note of explanation. Throughout the narrative, there are two printings of the word self. Whenever the print is capitalized, the meaning refers to the individual self. The small case print refers to the universal collective sense of self. And according to a Chicago Tribune article, people who sing live longer than those who do not. Why? Because singing stimulates better blood flow by increasing the efficiency of chest wall muscles in air exchange. These findings, the result of research done at the National Institute of Aging, were reported to the American Lung Association. While indisputable insofar as they go, these findings do not present the complete picture. In addition to the demonstrable physiological benefits of singing as exercise, 
Each individual has a deeply intrinsic need for the emotional release singing provides. Actually, human sound is the mind resonating through the instrument of the body. Conceived and evolved as one indivisible unit, the human body functions as the instrument of the human mind. Because of this balance of this unity is so crucial, I chose to use the word body-mind without separation to express this oneness. He continues, he says, I contend that singing is an inborn response to those moments of absolute emotional tranquility. Babies sing to themselves. The fact that we recognize no identifiable melodic sequence does not mean that it's not singing. Such spontaneous oral response has sustained emission, rhythm, pitch, variation, and emotional expression. Like the infant, we sing because we feel good, and singing makes us feel even better. When we sing to ourselves, we are, in effect, communicating with the inner self. It is an intrinsic means of truly pleasing and enjoying oneself. Singing is the amplification of the body-mind emotional resonance. It satisfies the need for a unified psychosomatic release not possible by any other biological means. It may be counterproductive to one's well-being not to sing. Singing happens in those moments when no other means but sustained resonant expression can provide complete emotional release. In other words, we sing because we need to. For physical and spiritual health. It's a basic human need to release that form of mental expression. I was uh, walking through a store one time and kind of browsing the framed art, and I saw a picture, and on it it said, Music is the sound the soul makes. If you think about it, music itself emotes. Right? It has emotion. We have different styles of music that reflect and channel different emotions and feelings. And you can relate to music either because in the moment you hear that piece of music, you're feeling the same type of emotion being conveyed in the song, or the power of the song is so strong that it overwhelms you and you begin to take on the emotion being reflected in that song. This is why music is so powerful. It has the ability to affect your thoughts, your mood, and even your entire outlook on your life. And all through the Bible, all throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, God, through his prophets and apostles, have encouraged us to use music as the means to encourage our faith, focus our hearts, and reaffirm the truth, and infuse ourselves with the hope that we need to continue on in our faith journey. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church of Colossae, here's what he says. He says, let the message of Christ... In all its richness, fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Here Paul the Apostle is telling us that we should strive or be striving to be filled with the richness of the message of Christ. To literally be filled to the point that we can't fit any more gospel inside of us. Have you ever been out to eat? And you just had, you know, a great dinner, but you still had a little room left, and so you started to think about, maybe I should peruse the dessert menu, right? And you start looking through there, and, and what sticks out? Well, the most giant chocolate cake known to man, right? It's the, it's the one that just pops out at you, or, or some kind of cheesecake or dessert. It, it, and you taste it, and you're like, man, it's so good, but it's so rich, right? You, you, I mean, I, I have a sweet tooth, but it's 
very few and far between that I find a dessert I can't demolish. But every once in a while, there, you, you taste a dessert, and it's just so rich, and, and you can't finish it all. And you know if, if you were to try that you would be releasing what you just put inside at any given moment, right? It would just, you just wouldn't be able to hold it in. It's just so much to consume. And, and, and even the thought of doing that, you'd realize, man, how full you are and how bloated you are. You feel like you gained a thousand pounds just the, eating the three bites that you just took from the dessert, right? Well, here, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying the gospel, the message of Christ is so rich. It's so rich. It's packed full. But I want you to overindulge. I want you to consume it to the point that it has to come out of you, that it overflows in your life. To indulge to the point there is no room for anything else. You can't fit anything else in but the truth and message of Jesus Christ. And Paul here reveals a few ways that we can indulge in this message, in this truth here in Colossians chapter 3. He says we can indulge in counseling and teaching one another. That's you and I pouring into other people and allowing other people to pour back into us. This is one of the mechanisms of the church that we encourage each other, we hold each other accountable, we teach each other, we speak into each other's lives, we come around and support one another. Here at Vertical Life Church, we pour into each other through our small groups, and we call them life groups. We serve uh, one another in ministry. We use our spiritual gifts. We uh, disciple one another, and we help others grow in the faith as others help us grow in the faith. And so Paul is saying, look, indulge, help each other, pour into each other's lives. But then he says something else. He says, then sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to the Lord. You see, singing is how what is deep down inside of us comes bursting out on the outside. When we've indulged so much to the point we can't fit anything else, it's only natural that singing releases what comes out, letting what's been poured into us flow out into the Lord. And so as teaching and counseling is us pouring into other people, us singing is us pouring out into the Lord. And the amazing thing is, is that as we allow ourselves to be emptied out through our worship, at the same time, we are being filled back up. The more we empty ourselves in worship, the more God pours back into us. So how many of you, week after week, crave this time of worship? Like you just can't wait to get back to the presence of God and into that time of worship, just to close your eyes and pour your heart out to the Lord. See, though it seems like we're giving God something in the worship experience, that we're giving God the sacrifice of praise when we gather for worship, at the same time, God is giving us something in return. He's pouring into us his peace and his presence. In Psalm 22, verse 3, the psalmist says, You are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. That word enthroned can also be translated to dwell, to remain, to sit. In other words, to have one's abode in. So what the psalmist is saying here to us is that God doesn't just sit on top of the worship of his people as it rises up to him as a spectator receiving our praise. No, God dwells within our worship. That our worship becomes his home. He moves among us. He's active in our worship when we worship. 
It's just not singing. There's something bigger happening. This is why when we open our hearts and allow ourselves to truly worship, we experience his presence. We experience his peace that passes all understanding. We experience his love. We experience his grace and mercy. We experience his joy. I've been leading worship for so many years now. I actually started in the fifth grade. My Sunday school teacher found out so a rumor that I had started playing guitar. I had just gotten one. I didn't even know what I was doing. I got a guitar, and just like any good church volunteer, worker, leader, the moment you hear you can take advantage of somebody, you seek after them, and you're like, yes, you're now enlisted into the army of the Lord. Woo! You know. And so he came up to me, and he said, I want you to you know, come play a song. I'm like, I don't know any songs. He's like, well, learn one. And I was like, well, I kind of have one song almost done. He's like, okay, come play that song. I'm like, that's the only song I know. He's like, it's okay. We'll sing that one every Sunday. So that got me started leading worship. And I've been doing it for a long time. And when I started leading, I didn't even, I didn't even know why we sang. I didn't know why we sang songs in church. I just thought that's just something that we did. And if I had to give you an answer back then when I started, I would have said, well, we just sing because it's fun. We enjoy doing it. This is what we do. And when I learned songs to play in church, I learned them based on how they were written. The verse, the chorus, the verse, the bridge, the verse. You know, this is, this is how it was written, and this is how people know it. And so I knew if I played it that way, people would sing along. They would know what I was doing. But it wasn't until later on that I learned not only how to engage my heart in worship, but that I should engage my heart in worship. So when I started engaging my heart to what I was singing, worship changed. It was no longer just the song time or the music time at church. I was able to experience something I'd never experienced before. I experienced the very presence of Almighty God. And since then, I've experienced many encounters with God in worship. There have been many times I've felt his presence so much so that I was filled with joy and I couldn't stop smiling. Hallelujah. Or to the point tears flowed from my face because I realized his love was washing over me. And I couldn't stop thinking about his grace and his goodness in comparison to who I was. When I began to experience God in worship in that way, I hungered for it more and more, and the more I engaged with his presence in worship, the more peace I felt in my innermost being in those moments. Because his presence drowns out the struggles that I carried into the worship gathering, even if it was just for a few moments. And that feeling of joy in my heart among the tension, among the different struggles, amongst the things that I was struggling with as any teenager, high schooler does, the drama of youth. When I engaged with the presence of God, it was enough to help me hope again in my situation, to trust God again, to believe again. And the more I hoped, the more I trusted, the more I believed, the more my broken soul was able to begin the healing process. You see, inner healing is so important. It's so important. You see, we worry about broken bones, right? We would worry about a broken body. You injure yourself or you get sick. We worry about a broken body because all the time we, we strive to mend it, to tend to it, to nurse it, to medicate it, to get back to physical health. But so many times we overlook a broken spirit. 
And the more broken your soul is, the harder it is to engage your heart. The harder it is to believe. The harder it is to trust. The harder it is to hope. And to open yourself up before the Lord to experience his presence. I saw an ad on Facebook this week. It really got me thinking about this question. It was a book by a man named Judah Smith. He is a pastor. And the book that he wrote, was he wrote it for church leaders and pastors. It's called, How Is Your Soul? That's not a question I think about regularly. But this question had got me thinking about my own soul health and about my soul this week. And this week I also attended a a luncheon with other area pastors and just going around the table asking questions. One pastor asked, how do we abide in Christ? It's a nice churchy phrase that says, how do you stay connected to God? And all as pastors and church leaders we know, being connected to God is pretty important thing. If you're going to lead a church, you're going to be a church leader, you got to stay connected to your heavenly father. Your spiritual life is very important. And we know that it's important to have a healthy spiritual life, to have a healthy soul, to remain connected to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That means for us, in other words, Jesus is the source of what we need. He's the source and we are the conduit. Flows through us. If the conduit is not connected to the source, then the conduit is failing in its purpose. It's not doing anything. It's lacking what it needs. So the conduit must be connected to the source, or we're dead to our purpose. And the times when I think about my life, when I realize that I haven't been abiding in Christ, I've not been connected to the source, or the times that I know it's been a while since I just really got on my face and worshiped the Lord. Whether it's alone on my knees, deep in prayer, or allowing myself to fully engage him in our church worship experiences. And I know I haven't been abiding in Christ when I enter into a dry season where my entire outlook of my life is kind of hopeless. Stress and anxiety are through the roof and I feel like I'm barely hanging on to a thread. I feel like giving up and quitting on everything. I feel like giving up trying to even do what's right and just to get out from underneath all the tension and pressure of expectations and responsibilities. I know my soul is struggling. It's in those moments that I feel overwhelmed that I know I have an unhealthy soul. My soul is suffering. And I need to reconnect with God. I need his peace. I need to feel his presence. And I need to hear his voice again to know that my relationship with him is strong. In Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, the psalmist says, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. You see, if you're not experiencing joy, it's because you've been out of the presence of God. There is great joy in his presence. The more you are in his presence, the more joyful you will become regardless of your situation. And the more joyful you become, the more you will want to remain connected or abide in him. And when my soul is suffering, I have to push past that feeling that spending time with God is just going to take too much effort or it feels like a chore. I have to get over that feeling of caring about what other people think and what other priorities people have for me in the moment. And I just need to raise my hands and give all I got to worship the Lord. The more I pour out to him, the deeper I'm plunged into his presence. And when I'm in that place where I'm surrounded by the presence of the Lord, when he feels so near to me, 
There's no other place I'd rather be. Psalm 8410, the psalmist writes, a single day in your courts is better than a thousand days anywhere else. There was a really popular song that came out when I was in high school called Better is One Day. And that's just the, the chorus of the song. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Over and over and over again. But it's so very true when you know what it's like to be in the presence of Almighty God. And we have access to his presence when two or more are gathered in his name, according to Jesus. We have access to his presence when we engage our hearts in worship. We have access to his presence when we engage our hearts in prayer. But some of you here today, you've not experienced God like that in worship before. It's kind of a foreign concept to you. Maybe something that you've wanted to experience, but you've not really known how to get there. Or maybe you grew up in a church uh, that was very traditional and it was very emotionless. Maybe you didn't grow up in church at all. And this all kind of sounds pretty freaking weird to you, whatever the case is. But if you're open to discovering what God has in store for you in worship, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, I believe Jesus gives us some insight about how we can set ourselves up to not only move into his presence, but also remain there as we experience God on a deeper level. One of the Lord's commands is found in Matthew 22, verse 37. Here's what Jesus says. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Many of you can quote this verse. You may not have known where it was found, but you could tell me exactly what this verse says. It's a very famous command of the Lord. It's often quoted. But just as often as it's quoted, I believe it's also often misunderstood. You see, when Jesus says, love him with all your heart, that word in the original language, in the Greek language, not only means the organ in your body that is the center of circulation of blood or hence regarded as the seat of physical life. Moses in the Old Testament was told by God that the blood is where the life is from. And so since the heart controls the blood, it's considered the very center of all your physical life. The heart for us, we also use as a spiritual example of our spiritual life, of our soul. And so it is also the center of our spiritual life as it is our physical life. It's the center of, of spiritual life, more or less figuratively known as the soul or fountain and seat of thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, and our endeavors. I would say our heart is pretty important according to what the word of the Lord says. The heart is the foundation of your entire being. And Jesus is saying here, don't just love God with your entire being, your inner self and your outer self. He's saying, let your love for him be the very foundation of everything you are. Your whole life, inside and outside, begins and ends with Jesus. When I wake in the, up in the morning, I wake up. To Jesus. When I walk out through my day, I walk in the presence of Jesus. When I lay down to sleep, I lay down to rest in Jesus. Everything I am is centered on and founded in the Lord Jesus Christ. Love him with all your heart. But as Christians, we tend to focus mainly on what we can do on the outside, what we can do to serve, what we can do to do spiritual works or religious works. We're loving him on the outside, but are we loving him on the inside? 
with the deep center of our being? Do we love God with our emotions? We might be kind to people outwardly, but are we loving people inwardly? Do we love God with our emotions, our feelings, our inner self, our inner being? Are we offering him full access to the core of who we are? To the place where our true self can be found? Or are we trying to mask the truth to keep from feeling vulnerable? See, true worship that leads you into the throne room of God's presence takes a willing vulnerability because it's through feeling vulnerable that you open yourself up to being fully exposed. And when you are fully exposed before the Lord, that truth will lead you to Jesus because you will recognize your desperate need for him. It'll lead you there. But as long as we restrict ourselves from God, we place walls up. We'll be fighting against that. He says we are to love him with our hearts, with everything we are, at the very foundation and core of our being. But he also says love him with all your soul. All your soul. Now, if your heart is both your inner self and your physical heart, what is the soul? Isn't that the same thing as the heart? Well, in the original language, this word soul actually means the breath of life. It's the vital force that animates the body and shows itself in breathing. So we're not just to love him with the foundation of who you are, but we are to love him with what facilitates and sustains life. If you stop breathing, you stop what? Living. Breath isn't just vital for your life, though. It's also vital for your existence. It's the mechanism by which you create sound through your vocal folds, or more commonly known as vocal cords. See, without breath passing through your vocal folds, you won't be able to make an audible sound. And so here, when Jesus says, love him with all your soul, he's telling us he's not just interested in how you set up your life. Jesus wants you to love him through what's driving you. What's flowing out of you, what's being produced in you, what's keeping you going, your breath, your words, your songs, your worship. See, if your foundation isn't Jesus, then your breath, your words, and even your worship will be off target, and it will lead you to another direction. See, we often get wrapped up in worshiping things that pale in comparison to Jesus, In the olden days, they would create idols, wooden statues that they would bow down and worship. And in our day today, we bow down to athletes, movie stars, and anything that will entertain or medicate us for the moment. What flows out of you is just as important as what is at the center of you. And if we are loving God with all of our soul, we will be driven toward Jesus. And what will flow out will be to his honor and glory. Love God with all your heart and with all your soul. And then Jesus names a third thing that can help us encounter his presence in worship, something that helps direct what flows out of us. And he says, love God with all your mind. The mind. The mind in the original language is your understanding or your imagination. It's the faculty of uh, feeling and desiring. See, the mind is what controls what we think about, what we imagine, what we desire, and what we meditate on. Are you loving God with what you think about? Are you loving God with what you imagine? Are you loving God with your desires and what you dwell on or meditate on? See, the mind is what determines whether we dwell on our problems or his promises. 
The mind is what determines if we dwell on the strength of our failures or the power of the one who can do infinitely more than we could possibly ask or think about. See, if we're loving him with our thoughts and we're meditating on his word, his truth, and letting that gospel message fill us to the point that our desires, our thoughts, what flows out of us are for his honor and glory, we will experience his presence. See, the way to experience God's presence more and more in worship, it takes a Christ-centered heart, a soul striving for and flowing toward him, and a mind focused completely on him. In an article on NBCNews.com, it's entitled The Power of Prayer and What Happens to Your Brain When You Pray. They note or interviewed a doctor at a Philadelphia hospital that says prayer is not a cure for cancer, but it can sometimes be important as science in helping patients heal. Dr. Andrew Newberg of Thomas Jefferson Hospital has been studying the effect of prayer on a human brain for more than 20 years, injecting radioactive dye into subjects and watching what changes inside their heads when they pray. Now, I'm going to pause the article for a minute just ask you, how did that conversation go? I'm going to pump you full of radioactive stuff to watch how it screws your brain up. You game for that? You know, I just, I don't know how, I don't know if they're making a lot of money, but, you know, this, this is just kind of a wacky thing. But this is what he's been doing for the last 20 years. He's been studying the brains of religious and non-religious people. And here's what he said. He said, you can see it's all red here when the person is just at rest, said Newberg, pointing at a computer screen showing brain activity. But you see it turns into these yellow colors when she's actually doing prayer. These changes, says Newberg, are the signs of the power of prayer to heal. We not only see changes in the activity levels, but in different neurotransmitters or the chemicals in the brain. He said there's evidence to show that by doing these practices, you can cause a lot of different changes all throughout the body, which could have a healing effect. Skeptics, however, say the brain changes during prayer, that there's no proof that those changes actually create healing. But Newberg goes on to say, and this is what I found interesting. He said it was particularly fun to watch what happens deep inside the brains of a group of Franciscan nuns when they were joined together in meditative prayer. The area of the brain associated with the sense of self began to shut down, according to Newberg. And he says, you become connected to God. You become connected to the world. Your self, quote unquote, sort of goes away. Now, if I remember right, John the Baptist once said, he must increase and I must decrease. When we're focused on the Lord, what is happening to these nuns in prayer is their sense of self is diminished and they're opening themselves up to and are being filled with the very presence of God and they can see it happening in the brain. You see, worship isn't just singing songs. Worship in and of itself is an act of prayer, using songs to facilitate the communication with God. It uses the mind to not only engage in the activity, but to also engage in the presence of God as he stirs among us. And even now, science reveals to us when our mind is focused on Jesus, our sense of self goes away and we experience his presence. See, when everything we are, our heart, our soul, our mind is engaged in and focused on the Lord, worship that draws us into his presence will flow out from us. It will be evident in how we live and in how we sing. Singing to the Lord should embody all of these actions. See, because of love, 
We have a desire to sing. Because of love, our thoughts consider him while we are singing. And because of love, our songs flow up to him when we sing. When we truly worship the Lord together, we will be encouraging one another. Hope will rise. Faith will grow because the presence of God's Holy Spirit will be flowing freely among us. Jesus prophesied about a day when true worshipers will arise. And he said this to his followers if they wanted to be counted among the true worshipers, among that group. In John chapter 4, 23 through 24, he said, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will arise and worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. We know it's not only vital to worship God in spirit, which is our inner being. It's our heart, soul, and mind. We also need to be worshiping him according to the truth of his word, according to the truth of who he is. The truth about his will for us as worshipers so that both our inward and our outward acts of worship can reflect our Father in heaven. Paul in Colossians 3.16, he instructed us not only to be filled with the truth of God, the message of Christ, the gospel, but he said to use three different types of songs, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Hymns were basically religious folk tunes of the day, similar to our contemporary Christian music On the radio now, people who were of faith would write songs based upon their experiences and and what they knew were true of God, and people would sing them. Spiritual songs were a little bit more mysterious. Uh, The scripture reveals this to being an act of the Holy Spirit as he comes upon an individual, prompting and inspiring a spontaneous worship. This is how in the, uh, the Psalms you read over and over again, sing to the Lord a new song. It's about allowing your relationship to God to flow out into spontaneous praise. You can go online to YouTube and see different uh, uh, groups that that focus on spontaneous worship. It's kind of interesting to uh, research. But then he says something else. He says not just hymns, not just uh, new songs, not just spiritual songs, but also the psalms. The psalms were set pieces of music. They were sacred odes in the Jewish religion. They were accompanied either by a harp or an instrument. But collectively, when you read the Psalms, we're talking about the book of Psalms. And if you have your Bible with you today and you were to open it up, right smack dab in the middle of the Bible is a book on worship. It's the core of our scripture, right in the middle. 150 chapters. Biggest book of the Bible in the center of the Bible. You think that's coincidence? I think not. God finds it to be very important about our worship and how we worship. Inside the Psalms are are contained different pieces of music that were divinely inspired by his prophets and other messengers like Moses, David, Solomon, and even some of the choir directors of the time that were chosen to lead the nation of Israel in worship because of their skill like Asaph and others. And we know the Psalms are inspired scripture because we can read in them prophecies relating to Jesus. Matter of fact, Psalm 22 basically outlines the events of the crucifixion, uh, talking about crucifixion long before it was ever popular by the Romans and brought to the Middle East. And in the Psalms, they were not just a collection of songs. They were divinely inspired writings meant to minister to our very souls. 
the book of Psalms, there are songs for every occasion. There are songs to encourage, songs to comfort, songs to challenge, songs to prophesy, songs to vent, songs to pray, songs of victory, songs of desperation, songs of unity, songs of war, songs of instruction, and songs of his promises. There's a song for every occasion, a song for every season. So if song is the way our soul expresses itself, if music is the expression of our spiritual selves, our spiritual hearts, then it only makes sense that the book God inspired to instruct our worship and engage our innermost being is filled with every kind of emotion, every kind of season, every kind of moment in our life. Because more than anything, God wants our hearts to be connected to him. And he doesn't want any life circumstance, any situation in our life to get in the way of that connection. In Matthew 15, verse 8, Jesus uh, rebuking these spiritual leaders in his day. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are so far from me. You see, worship without an engaged heart is only flattery. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a time filler. I've known different ministers and church leaders that refer to the music portion of the service as just the time filler before the message. But it's more than just a time filler to the Lord. Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Oh God, you see, God wants us to have hearts connected with him. He wants a heart that recognizes its need for God and desires to be restored to relationship with their Father in heaven, so much so to the point they're willing to do whatever it takes to see that happen. Whatever you want, God, whatever your will is, I am yours. Be near to me. Draw me close into your presence. This is the heart's cry of the Psalms. But more than just connecting to us emotionally, God has a purpose for the Psalms. And our key verse today is found in Psalm 118, verse 14. This is what the Psalm says. It says, the Lord is my strength and my song. He's given me the victory. This is a very simple verse, but it's actually filled with a powerful truth. You see, we understand what the Lord is my strength means. The Lord is my strength. We understand that apart from God, we can do nothing. That through God, all things are possible. There is nothing impossible for our God. So no matter what we face, we can do all things through Christ who gives us what? Strength. Jesus is the one in whom we get our strength. The Lord is our strength. We understand that. But what does it mean the Lord is our song? The Lord is our song. The word for song here in Psalm 118 in the original language is the word zimroth, which means he is the object or the content of our song. As our song is springing up as a, a, a joyful noise out of the depths of our soul, it is the Lord who is our song. You see, the beauty of this verse in Psalm 118.14 reveals to us that not only is God the source of our strength and that he's the content of our song, but look what it says this is the reason why he's our strength in our song. Because it says, he has given me the victory. That's not past or future tense. That is present tense. He's given me the victory. Another translation says, he has become my salvation. That means I was dead, but now I'm what? Alive. I was lost, but now I'm what? Found. Found. 
I was a loser, but guess what? Now I'm victorious in Jesus Christ. He has become my victory, my salvation. We sing to him because of what he's done. We sing to him because of who he is in our lives. And to honor Jesus' command to love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, to guide our songs to be about the one and to the one who is our song, we look to the Psalms, the centerpiece of the Bible, to reveal the truth about how great our God is and how we can and should honor him in our worship. And so in this series, as we're going to be unpacking some of my favorite Psalms that I've read and, and have spoken to me through my time leading worship and now in this point in my ministry. We're going to look at songs that declare the truth of God, that inform us about his greatness, inform us about his promises, and challenge us to worship him more openly and freely as we walk in greater faith. And my hope is through this series that each of us learn to lean on and engage with God on a deeper level to strengthen our faith, our relationship with our Heavenly Father through a deeper and stronger connection to His Holy Spirit, to empower our worship to bring much-needed healing to our souls as we enter into and are filled with the presence of God. And I challenge you through this series, each week you come, as you gather for worship, open your heart a little more. Engage your soul a little more. Focus your mind a little more and see what God does in your life. Some questions I have for you to ask yourself this week, and if you're in a life group, talk about this with your life group. If you meet with a friend uh, throughout the week, discuss this with your, your friend. Maybe this would be good conversation over the, the dinner or lunch table today with your family. But think about this. Number one, think about your life. Is Jesus your song? Or does your heart sing a different tune? Number two, what are some ways you can love him more this week with your heart, with your soul, and with your mind? And number three, what's one thing you can commit to this week to begin engaging God's presence more when you gather for worship? Think through and pray, for the, pray through these things this week because God has an amazing thing in store for you. Great things are found in his presence. And he is here when we gather together in his name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just worship you in this place. We know you are here among us. You've promised that you're here. And God, I just pray for all of our hearts. Lord, distractions even this morning have tried to get in the way of what you've intended for us today. But I pray against the enemy. I pray against distractions. I pray against all the things that are fighting for our time and attention. And I pray, God, in these next few moments, we would just rest in your presence. For the one today, God, that has never experienced you in worship, God, I pray that you would surround them now with your loving arms and tender mercy. For the one in desperate need for healing for their soul, God, I pray that healing would come today. God, for the one who's been bitter and angry because of life circumstances, I pray joy would fill their hearts now in Jesus' name. For the one worried about their life circumstances, I pray your peace would come right now in Jesus' name. And for the one that doesn't know you as their Savior, for the one that has yet to begin a relationship with you, God, I pray in the name of Jesus, they would pray a little prayer 
They would ask you to forgive them of their sins. And they would ask you to be the Lord and Savior of their life, Jesus. And that today, new life would spring up in their hearts. We just pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.